So let me ask this question to our adults here. The question is this, how, how do you grow spiritually? Like, don't you think about it, like, how do you grow? If you are a follower of Jesus, kind of the thought is that you throughout life will become more like him. And so let me ask you, how are you doing that? What, what's it look like? For some of you, uh, it might be very passive. Just, hey, I come to church, I sit, I listen, and I'm hoping that something sticks. You know, I hear something that it kind of stays in my mind, changes my heart, and that's how I grow. Okay, there's, there's that times like that, right? Uh, some of you are more active, saying, yeah, I do that, but I am, I'm also, like, reading my Bible, right? I'm trying to actively, you know, engage in God's Word. I'm taking time to, to pray and to uh, listen, and, and I'm serving, right? I'm serving. I, I'm doing good things, and if I get a chance, I, I'm, I'm sharing the gospel and stepping out in faith to share, and so there's some active components to that, too. Um, but might I suggest there's a third area, too. Those are good right? It, it's important that we know the right things, that we have a good doctrine and we understand uh, God's Word, right? That is important. There's, it's also important of what we do and how we serve and how we um, serve the Lord with this, the skills and the talents that we have, and those are good. But there's just a third one, too, that's just, it's, it's that being still, right? It's letting God speak to us and saying, how do I need to change, like being really honest before God, like letting his word and all these things really soak, like soak into our hearts so we can look and see, you know, there's still things that I need to, to, to give to the Lord. There's still things I want him to change in my life. And it's taking time to do that, kind of this examination of our hearts. And we do the first two things really well, right? We know our Bible studies and we know how to serve and all that. I'm not so sure we're as good at this. We're not as good as sitting still, just listening, and putting our hearts before the Lord and just saying, Lord, here's my heart. Search it. And tell me if there's an offensive way in me. Tell me if there's an area that I need to submit to you. Humble me so that I can give you all of my heart. I don't think we do that all that well, but that's really essentially what we see in the Psalms. We've spent the last nine weeks studying nine different Psalms. We've covered the gamut, the whole range of emotions that we started with this, uh, this Psalm that's like, why is my soul so downcast? Why am I so depressed? Talking then through, moving through this worshiping the Lord and uh, praising his name. But it, we're ending here today with Psalm 139. And one, Psalm 139 ends with this, this call to be searched to be examined, saying, Lord, you know my heart. You need to examine me, and you need to show me how I become more like Christ. And so it's important that we take a little time and look at that and just acknowledge that. So today, as we look at the psalm, it's a psalm that's about God knowing us completely. He's there in the midst. He's created us, but he's calling us to be holy, calling us to follow him on the way everlasting. All these things we'll talk about in our time today, but I just want you to know that God knows you, he sees you, he created you, and he's calling you. He's calling your heart to be changed, to conformed to that of Christ. So that's what we'll talk about today. Sound good? Okay. Let's start here in verse 1. And it's the, the truth here is that we are known 
by an all-knowing God. You are completely known by a God who knows everything. Before we get to the passage, let me just think about this. Let me just have you think about this. How many people know you completely? Right? How many people know you, like, inside and out? And then we'll add this, and they still love you. <laughs> A lot of people know us, but do they love you? Right? How many, you know, is it, is it 50 people? Do you have 50 people in your life? I don't know if any of us have 50 people that know us that well and still love us. But 25? I don't know. Is that still a stretch? About 10. Right? We might have 10. You know, some 10, our family, uh, a spouse, some good friends that kind of know us who we are, still love us. Maybe it's three, right? But all of us can say, we can all raise our hand at least and say there's one person who knows me completely and loves me, and that is your God. All right, let's look at verse 1. It says this, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. You have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You're familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, Lord, you know it completely. You hem me in behind and uh, before, and you lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Hold on to that last verse. Such knowledge is too wonderful. I'll get that, get there. But it starts with this, that you have been searched and you have been known by God. And he loves what he sees. He loves you. He knows you. He searched you. He sees you. And he loves you. That, if you're into grammar, that's that kind of past perfect. It's that uh, it's already completed. It's already happened in the past and it's completed. Yet, it continues today that God has known you. He's, he's seen you, but he's continuing to be close to you. He sees everything that you do. He knows you. And he loves you. He talks about the whole course of life. You know, when I sit up and when I stand down and when I lie down, all of these things he knows and it, that sounds kind of boring and ordinary, but it's true. He sees every single part of us. I remember when Twitter was brand new, and, and none of us really knew what to do with it. Right? Do you remember that? It was just kind of this weird thing. You have so many characters. And so uh, I remember the person who introduced me to it, he's like, you know, I'm sitting at my chair, you know. I am standing up and getting coffee. Like, we didn't know what to do with it. It was just weird, and now it's kind of changed. But um, it's just this, like, nobody cares about that kind of thing. But God does. But here's what I'd say. Now it's kind of, it's taken on a new look. You ask any high school or college kid, and they'll tell you that this is what they're concerned with right now. It's called Be Real. All right, you guys know the app yet? All right, some of you know it. Some of you, you, you write it down, okay? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm new at this. I'm learning this, right? Just kind of found out about this recently. Um, I've seen some pictures, and I had to ask my kids, like, tell me about this. <laughs> All right. It's a reaction against Instagram. We love Instagram. Instagram is where you put your best pictures of your best dates, the best food you've had, the best vacations, and all that stuff. You, you put the best of your life, Right? Um, you take all of the best things in your week and you put them on that one little picture or a few pictures and you post it for the world to see. Be Real is the other side of that. They, they, this app is designed to like, what are you really like? 
you know, on, on just a moment-to-moment -moment basis. And so if you have the app, you'll get um, a, a predetermined time that you don't decide, that the app decides when you can post a picture. And you'll get this notification that says it's time to be real. You got about 10 minutes for you to take a picture. And so you take a picture of what you're looking at or what's in front of you, and then it takes a picture of you, what you look like right then and there. And, you know, it's supposed to be like, this is cool. What, what are people really doing? But if you look at any of these pictures for any bit of time, they, it's kind of boring. It really just looks boring. It's somebody on a bus with a mask, uh, a guy with a stubble and a dog on the couch, and a guy looking at the freezer with nothing exciting in there. I see a Trader Joe's bag of Nan. That's exciting. But other than that, it's, you know, it's what it is. Nobody really cares. I wonder how long this app will go. I think I'm intrigued by it. It's kind of fun. But here's the thing. Like, God cares. He knows. He knows what you're doing moment to moment. And he's excited. It's like, there's Billy. He's sitting down. Everybody gather around. Look at him. Take a picture. There's Jim. He's just got up. Whoa. Like, he's, he knows. And it's interesting to him. He knows your life. He says he knows your life. He knows your thoughts. He knows the thoughts that are bouncing around in your head. Those thoughts that you're trying to process and they just kind of roll and roll. And, or he just knows those, those little sharp statements that you're thinking. You know, this is what I want to say, but this is what I'm, I'm thinking. Instead, he knows these things. He's got all of these things. And he says, I get you. I see you. I hear you. It's beautiful. How well we're known. Now, this is, some people read this verse and say, well, that's because I, now I don't have to pray, right? God already knows my thoughts. He knows what I'm thinking, so I don't have to pray. And that, that's not the context here, right? That is not the situation. I'm not saying that you don't have to pray or any, don't express your thoughts to God because he knows them already. No, we still need to do that. But what I love, though, that he just, he knows us completely. Uh, Paul picks up on this in Romans 8 where he's saying, you know, sometimes we don't know what to pray for. And all we can do is groan. You know, we don't know how to pray. And we're just like, ugh. And it says the Holy Spirit captures that. And he's like, I know what that means. I know exactly what you feel. And I'm going to take that to the Lord. Right? It's, it's this beautiful thing of how well we're known. Even our groans are known by God. But with all of that, he knows your thoughts. He knows what you're doing. Here's the cool thing. He says, such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It, it, do, we kind of pass by that, but what he's saying is, that's a beautiful thing. It's a beautiful thing because God knows everything about me, and he still loves me. Right? It, if he, the, David wouldn't say that, that this, this is wonderful, if he if he knew that God saw him, heard his thoughts and all that, and said, that's too much. You've gone too far. He, he, if God said, I, I hear what's going on in your mind, and I'm rejecting you, then that wouldn't be wonderful news. That would be horrible news. You're, you're being judged. You're being known by someone who's judging you, and they don't like what they see. That would not be wonderful. But David's able to say, this is wonderful news because he sees me, he hears me, he knows everything about me. And he still wants me. 
he still wants me in a life. The verse ends with, he's leading me in the way everlasting. He's leading me to the kingdom of God. He's leading me to his home. He wants me in his home, in his family. That is wonderful news. You are known completely. He knows your arrogant thoughts, your lazy moments, when you're rude and insensitive. He knows your calloused heart. He still, still says, but you're mine. I'm loving you. So you're known by a God who knows everything, and he loves you. The second thing we see as we continue through this psalm is that you're pursued by an always present God. You're being pursued by someone who is always there. I I love um, a good chase scene in a movie, don't you? You might have some of your favorites, like Born Identity or Ronin, or these good car chases through European cities and all that. Um, but even, you know, if you don't like that kind of movies, there's even, uh, like, the romantic comedies still have chases. Like, you know, How to Lose a Guy in 10 Days when she's off in the taxi cab to, to the airport and he's on the little motorcycle with the plant that she gave him and he's chasing after her. Like, we had, there, all these movies have chases in them, right? It's almost like it's an ordinary thing. But I, I look back at my life and I'm like, I have not been chased very many times. I think that... The last time I was in a chase was like toilet paper in someone's house in high school, and the guy woke up and chased us, you know, down the street. Oh, I was so scared, you know. That was the last good chase I had, right, as far as that goes. But uh, I say that because in this, the next section, it's, it's God's like he's chasing us. He's pursuing us, but we can't shake him. We can't shake him. You know, you run down the alley, and you turn, and you go in that door, and you shut the door, and he's right there. That's what he's saying. Look at verse 7. He says, where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go to the heavens, you're there. If I make my bed in the depths, you're there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, like in the east, you're there. If I settle on the far side of the sea in the west, even there your hand will guide me. Your right hand will hold fast to me. <laughs> like, you know, the mom who has that little grip on the kid's neck, you know, you can't get away, they're holding you. He's it's right there. He says, um, even the darkness can't hide me. If I, I go in the darkest room, the darkest cave, it's like day to you. I can't hide. I can't hide from your presence. Not up high, down low, east, west, anywhere. Because you're always there. You're right there with me. Yet, we still run. We still hide. We still, throughout our lives, continue to hide from God or run from Him. Whether we're feeling guilty from the habitual sin that's in our life and we're just like, oh, I can't even look at Him, not till I, I cry a few more tears or just feel really bad about myself. I have to kind of hide from Him. We still run away. We hide from him. Just like Adam and Eve who hid in the bushes, we're still doing it today. There's a great um, classic poem from Francis Thompson called The Hound of Heaven. If you like Shakespearean-type poems, this is great. I'd encourage you to read it. If you don't like that, I'm just going to read you five lines and you're done, okay? But it's The Hound of Heaven. It says, I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinth ways of my own mind and in, my, in the midst of tears. I hid from him in underrunning laughter. Just saying, I've hid from him for all these years. And you know what? I didn't even care. Like, I didn't want anything to do with him. 
But the, the poem continues of he keeps hearing the feet of the hound chasing him and pursuing him. You know, we, we, have, we get it. We know how to hide. But on the other side, on the other side, it's like we in our sophisticated minds, we, we don't see it that way. We, we think that we're the ones searching for God. We think that we're the ones that we find God, you know, I'll, I'll find you. Kind of like this, this game of hide and seek. You know, God is hiding. It's like we're, uh, you know, in the garden, walking in the cool of the garden, and God hears us, our foot, and then he goes and hides. And we walk and we say, where are you? And he says, oh, I heard you in the sound of the garden, and, and I was afraid, so I hid. And we're like, oh, I got you. And he's like, okay, you found me, and I'll, and I'll give you eternal life. Good job, good job finding me. We tend to think that way because that puts us in control and all that. But that's not the case. The reality is we keep running from him, but we can't shake him. He is always there. He is always with us. He sees us. He knows us. He's around us. He's protecting us. And we don't need to be afraid because this is a God who's love. This is God who's so wonderful to us. So as we kind of start this, this, uh, this psalm, we just see that God searches us, he knows us, he loves us, and he's pursuing us. But now he continues, and he goes even just a step further. He says, we're created by this wonderful God. We're created by a God of wonder and majesty. Before I go to these verses, you... Um, you may have heard them in um, kind of couched in the, the pro-life movement, right? It talks about knitting us together in our mom's womb, that, that kind of thing. Um, we've heard it in relation to that, right? And, and it's, we should. It's good. Um, we've also, there's another verse in here, too, that just talks about how we're one, or fearfully and wonderfully made. Uh, you may have seen that when you go to Hobby Lobby and you're looking at mirrors and it says, you know, you're fearfully and wonderfully made. And, you know, they tend to put a lot of, like, Christian things on there. That's good. But we, we, we've seen it in those contexts. But let me tell you that these verses were, were here before politics, before the pro-life movement, before the self-esteem movement. And all of those things. These, this is not political. Sometimes we, we think, oh, they're political, and we read that in here. But it, it's above politics. God's word is above that. And he's, he's telling us, he's teaching us what a worldview looks like and how he was, how he was part of that. But um, he's just saying, you know, you have been with me and all that. Now he, he takes it that step further, saying, even before I existed, you were with me. Even before anybody knew anything about me. I was in the secret. You were there, and you were, you were building me. You were making me. So here's what it says. He says in verse 13, For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to being. How precious to me are your thoughts, God. How vast is the sum of them. Where do I, uh, where do I count them? They would outnumber the grains of sand. And when I, aw when I awake... I'm still with you. Um, 
sometimes we look at the creator or we look at us, but look, look at or the, the creation, but look at the creator. What does it say about him? That he is a wonderful creator. He says that. You've, you've made me. Your works are wonderful. Meaning, what he makes, he, the things he makes are excellent. He's excellent at his craft. And he has made us, and he's excellent at it. You know, when you're looking on social media and you, you see a dessert, someone posts a, a dessert that looks so good. I saw somebody uh, put one up last night. And, and my first question is like, who made that? Did, did you make that? Or was it like from a restaurant? If it was a restaurant, like which one? I want to know because that looks amazing. But really what we're saying is like the, the dessert looks good, but who made it is the creative one. That's the amazing person. He's saying that your works, like your works are wonderful. You are wonderful, God. See, God has made us all, and he doesn't make mistakes. We see mistakes, but he doesn't, right? What we call our quirks, he calls perfection, right? What we call blemishes, he calls excellence. What we call deficiencies, he calls precision. Like these are the things that he has done, and he's made us the way we are. He saw us before we were born. He made us exactly how we are. He loves the uniqueness. He loves the variety. That's got to be what he sees on all of us, how we're so unique, completely. It's a beautiful thing. Our creator is beautiful and wonderful, but so is his creation. We are. He doesn't make any accidents. He loves us. He made us the way we are. Right? And this is, it's hard, right? Because like we said, we're so critical on ourselves and critical to others, you know, but we, we forget that we're made individually. We're sovereignly, sovereignly ordained to be who you are, like your weight, your height, your voice, your, your athletic ability or lack thereof, all these different things God has put in you and he's made you. His works are wonderful. You are one of them. But what, this is a, a hard thing for us to believe. It's a hard thing for us to really see, right? As we spend our lives looking in the mirror and just saying, I don't always like what I see. It's funny, like, I think there's this, this part, you know, you're young and, and then, you, you know, you get zits and, and all that kind of stuff. And it's just about the point that, you know, your skin begins to clear up and all that. Then you start, you know... The hair starts falling off or turning colors or, you know, you lose your balance. You know, you have this moment of peakness wherever that is, but then it changes and it's, it's hard. It's hard like, oh, Lord, I am who I am and, and I want to praise you for that. It's hard to, but isn't that what we need to do? Just praise the creator for who he's made and not just for yourself, but for those around us. It will probably take us our whole lives to get settled with this. It will probably take us our whole entire life to get to that point where we're like, okay. And that's going to be when we're glorified. You know, really, it'll, it'll take forever. We'll not be there. Where it's like, uh, you know, Paul talks about the earth, how the earth just groans, you know, waiting for that day of redemption. In the same way our bodies do too. We just, we groan and we're waiting for that day when we're glorified. When sin and all of the effects of aging and, and the sun and all of that kind of stuff is gone. And it has no effect on us. But until then, we struggle and we wait. 
But for the, let me just say this last thing. For those of you who still want to be perfect, all right, um, let me take you back to Leviticus. In Leviticus, if, if you are, oh, go with me on this, if you're a lamb and you're perfect, do you know what's going to happen to you? You are sacrificed. You are killed. All right? So sometimes we think, oh, I just want to be perfect. Well, if you're perfect in Leviticus, you don't have a long life. All right? That, that little mama, mama lamb giving birth is like, please give him a mole. All right? Please let him have buck teeth or one leg that's shorter than the other. I want him to live. But, that's funny, but I think it's funny. A couple will laugh. Thank you. But on, on the serious side, though, I mean, really, the lamb that was perfect was slaughtered. Jesus was slaughtered. He's the perfect one. And, and Isaiah, by the way, Isaiah didn't say that he looked per- perfect, you know, like some of the actors today or anything like that. It's an, there wasn't anything remarkable about him externally. But internally, he was perfect. And he was led to the slaughter so that all the imperfect people could someday, one day, be perfect, okay? So let's just maybe keep that in your mind. Hopefully that sticks for some of you, right? But we've talked so far. Yeah, we've known God's pursuing us. He's created us. But, but now is where the psalm takes a turn, and it gets hard, right? We are led through life by a holy God. And, you know, just like verses like, you know, 14 was nice. You see it at a Hobby Lobby. No Hobby Lobby ever will carry this verse, verse 19. Okay, never. Let me, I guarantee you. It says this. If only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. Where's, how's it go from like I'm fearfully, wonderfully made to like slay the wicked? Get away, you bloodthirsty people. He says, they speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord, and abhor those who are in rebellion against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them as my enemies. What do you do with this? Earlier in the week, I'm like, well, if I take a long time in the first part, (laughs) I'll have to get to this. Or I'm like, well, how do I soften this? You know, how do I, like soften this and so it's it's maybe not as offensive but let me i'll let scripture speak for itself but let's remember this david was being pursued by enemies okay like literally had people chasing him trying to find him in a dark cave that were trying to kill him they were saying mean things about david and they were saying mean things about david's god he says that they misused your name. They're, they were taking his name in vain, and I can't imagine what they were saying, but David was offended. I think he was more offended what they were saying about God than what they were saying about him. And that's why he's able to say, don't I you know, abhor those who rebel against you, those who hate you? I hate. Right? I'm concerned for your glory. So there's, there's a part of that going on. But there's also a part of this uh, that goes back to the beginning. You know my thoughts, Lord. You know everything. So I'm not going to sugarcoat things. I'm not going to hide things. I'm just going to tell you how it is. I'm going to tell you what's on my mind. There's something really beautiful and refreshing about that. Because don't some of us, like, we feel like, uh, you know, we, we have to be very careful on how we pray, on what we say. But logically, 
if God knows all of our thoughts and he knows what you're mumbling under your breath, why just say it. Just be honest, right? And, and be honest before God. And so he is. He's like, I just want you to slay these people. They're wicked. And that's this dilemma that we have with God. But here in his honesty, he's saying, I'm, I'm, I'm hating the enemies of God. So um, I, that stands. That kind of stands. It's true to kind of in the Old Testament where God said, um, hey, to the neighbors, like those who are not Israelites but their neighbors, they're, they're, gonna, like, they're joining you. They're joining you in worship. Like be kind to them. Right? Live at peace with them. But he said, for the enemies, the Moabites, the Amorites, the Jebusites, the, you know, all of those, the Philistines, right? I'm against them. And so we see that playing out in the Old Testament. So it's there. But let me ask you this. I mean, is, should we, can we apply this now and just say, hey, as you guys leave here, I want you to hate all your enemies with that kind of a passion? You know, when um, you see an enemy on the freeway, you pray that God would slay them. Um, I'm not going to apply it that way. Let me, let me bring the New Testament into this if I can, right? What does Jesus say when he, when he comes? He, Jesus spends a lot of his time in his ministry taking the, the law, the 613 laws, and kind of boiling them down and summarizing them. And in Matthew chapter 5, the Sermon on the Mount, he says this. He says, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. Because that that's what we heard in the Old Testament. Love, love your neighbor, the people that are living peacefully. They want to follow you. They, they want to know God and all that. Love them. But hate your enemy, those other nations that have rebelled. But I tell you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. That's different, right? So as you've heard it said, but I'm telling you something different. I want you to love your enemy. Love them. Pray for them. So on the one hand, we do, we hate what God hates, all right? Um, all the evil and injustice and all of these things that belong, that darkness that belong to the domain of Satan. Yeah, we, we, we are to hate that. But when it comes to people, there's this love for our enemies. And how do we do that? Uh, somewhere along the line, the Christian church has come up with this um, little um, verse. It's not from the Bible, right? Uh, you guys, are you with me? Like, love the sinner, hate the sin? Okay, we've heard that's not a Bible verse, by the way. It's just, I think it's a way to try to say, how do we, how do we hate these things of, of, of Satan's underworld that he's trying to establish on earth? How do we hate that um, and honor God by loving the people, right? Loving our enemies. Um, but it's hard, to do that. We're not very good at that. And if you've, uh, if you've said that phrase here recently to somebody who's not a Christian, it probably didn't go over well because that phrase right now in kind of the non-Christian uh, world, oh, they hate it. They hate it. Why? Because we don't know how to do that. We know how to hate the sin, but we end up often hating the sinner. We don't mean to do that, but you know, as long as they're coming to church or they're um, engaging us in a conversation over coffee, it's very easy to love them. But once they say, ah, no, keep that to yourself, I'm not interested, or worse, oh, fine then, you know? And we stop loving them. We reject them, or, or worse. So let me just 
Let me just pause before we say that out loud. The truth is there. But maybe rather than trying to differentiate, because that's really hard. How do I differentiate like the, the actual sin in you and then the person in you? Sometimes they're, they're very hard to separate. And so maybe we just say, let's just love, love the people. It's going to get messy and it'll be like, did we get too much or not enough? I mean, it's, it's going to be hard. But let us just love the people. That's what he says. He says, I'm telling you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. It's going to be hard to do. It's a good challenge. We, we need to rise to that. How does this all end? He says in verse 23, he says, Search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. That's what we need. We need to regularly bring our hearts before the Lord and say, Lord, I've just been honest with you. I've just laid it all out, and now I need you to search me. Search my heart. All right, tell me what is anxious. Tell me where I'm leaning on anxiety, not on you. Uh, tell me what is just wrong, and I just need to change. The pride, the arrogance, all right, the, the ways I've, I've been gossiping and lying or slandering, the, the disunity that I've been sowing in life. Like, teach me, show me, I need to know. You need to show me how, how, to, how to change to become more holy in life. That doesn't come from a prideful person. You can't be prideful and, and, and do that. It, you have to enter that with humility. Saying, Lord, I, this is where I'm at. But Lord, I, I want to become more holy. Yes, it's true. God made you. He made you the way you are. But we don't see David just saying, and that's the way I am, and that's just it. He says, but I need to change, and I need to change by you, by your holiness. You need to shine your light in my life and show me how to change because I want to do that. I want to become a follower of God. I want to be that disciple that is growing. I want to become more like Christ. So show me how to do that. And I love the last line. He says, and just lead me in the way everlasting. Right? That just bring me to your home. Keep me on the narrow road. Don't let me stray this way or that way. Keep my eyes on you. So how do you grow spiritually? How are you becoming a disciple of Jesus? It is on what we know. I want to encourage you. Like, let's, let's study God's word. Let's have a correct understanding of him. But it's also, you know, yeah, what we do. The part of our, our action, our service is a part of that too, right? But this part is important too. Search me, Lord. Let your word soak into my heart. Change it. Soften it. Mold it shape it to not look like the values of the world that I know so well but shape it to look like the values of your kingdom replace the hate with love all right the pride with humility the apathy with compassion and on and on may we continue to become more like Christ may he shape our lives may he shape one heart at a time. You're known, you're pursued, you're created to be 
Come like Christ to be holy. Amen?